Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. Last week we discussed prog metal royalty, discussing images and words by Dream Theater. This week, the origins of thrash with Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Chris, my man, how are you doing? Uh, it's nice that we can finally shine a spotlight on this very little-known band, Metallica. <laughs> I, I know. it's uh, It's been a long, long time coming, but I'm, I'm happy we get to uh, discuss it. I know you were away this week. I, I suspect you haven't had a lot of chance to uh, or a lot of time to catch up on some new stuff that came out, but I'm going to help you out because I got a number of things I want to talk about in, in, uh, in your absence. Um, one of my favorite bands out of Canada, Ascendia, who released a phenomenal album a couple of years ago, just released their new single entitled This War. I posted it on our social media pages um, throughout the week. Definitely worth checking out. It seems like they're going in a little bit of a different direction, but I'm, I'm very curious to hear what this album is going to sound like. Uh, so best of luck to them. Threshold, an album who we have discussed uh, in the archives and uh, a band who I, I think we can both say we are big fans of, released a new single called Silenced. This song is awesome. It's very much in the vein, I think, of the last album. Uh, very, very uh, introspective lyrics, really, really catchy chorus. Exactly, I think, what you'd expect uh, from Threshold at this point in their career, but very, very, very good listen. And um, a band out of Houston, Texas called Anova Skyway. They're kind of an up-and-coming band, very, very new. They kind of blend alternative rock and prog rock. I think they lean a little more prog rock, but it's definitely more accessible than some of the quirkier stuff that's out there. They released a new EP called Reset. It's six songs. It is phenomenal, and I cannot stress this enough. This, If this was a full-length album, it would probably be in my top five albums that I've heard this year because I, I played this thing on repeat all week. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. I'll post uh, a song or two this week from the EP. Just really, really catchy stuff. They remind me of a band from New York called Jolly that was around about 10 or 12 years ago. They haven't done much since then, maybe about six, seven years ago at this point, but um, very, very catchy, but quirky prog rock. I, I think I think you'll definitely uh, enjoy it. So I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll post a song this week. Very cool. Um, I just had noticed, I, like you said, I was uh, away, but I noticed there was a couple of other songs that got dropped that I still need to listen to, but Voyager has a new single called uh, Submarine. I believe they have a new music video to go along with that. Uh, Soilwork dropped another single from their upcoming album, Overgiven, Hitting, and that song's called Dreams of Nowhere. And uh, I, have you, I, I was curious, have you had a chance to hear the new Megadeth single? I was interested to see that Ice-T <laughs> is featured on it. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. That first single blew me away. I didn't think they were capable of recreating a sound from Rust in Peace, but it was damn near close. This single is really, really good too. It's, I mean, obviously it's got the iced tea influence and you can imagine what that is going to sound like, but it's a really good song. The guitar work is just the best guitar work they've done probably in 30 something years. Um, this album has real potential and I never thought I'd be saying that about a Megadeth album at this point but it's it's intriguing and what's interesting is they even had like the old Vic Rattlehead skull with the hooks in the mouth which was something they had on their first album um you know at this point almost 40 years ago 
they seem like they're trying to go back to their roots on this one. And I am really intrigued. I'm all in. I mean, the vocals are never going to be revolutionary, right? But the guitar work and the drumming is just so melodic and catchy and fast and aggressive that it's like, I'm all in. I have to hear this album. I'm looking forward to it immensely. Yeah. Um, I, I'm looking forward to hearing this track. Um, and then there was one other thing that uh, I noticed. Oh, yes. Nordic Union uh, released another single from their upcoming album, Animalistic. And that song is called This Means War. Um, and so that's another one I got to listen to. That's uh, Eric Martinson and um, Ronnie Atkins. So um, I'll, I'll be doing some some catching up this week for sure. And then by the time you talk to me on the next episode, I'll be all, uh, all caught up. Kudos. I hope you enjoyed the vacation. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I can't believe that here we are doing over a hundred episodes and we have not even like mentioned this band. I mean, I mean, I know we've talked about other bands. Maybe we haven't done a deep dive, but we really haven't even talked about Metallica, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Uh, but here we are. And ironically enough, we're celebrating Ride the Lightning today, which came out July 27th, 1984. So it's what, 38 years ago this week that this album came out. Um, you know, where do you start with this band? When was the first time you even heard a Metallica song? Was it Enter Sandman on the radio or was it some other way? Oh my God. You know, I'm not even sure. It, it goes back to before I really started diving into into like progressive and power metal, but probably not too far before. Um, I had a, uh, a cousin who was a year younger than me and um, he had like a, he was always like a hip hop guy, but he went through this very short metal phase and then when he was out of it he gave me um he gave me the black album and um kill them all which were like if you could pick like two opposite like not opposite but just two very different metallica albums it was like their very raw debut versus like their first super polished almost like uh, commercial release um it was interesting i never really got into kill em all but i really liked uh the black album i thought all the songs were really good but um it would it would be you and nick particularly who kind of got me more into the uh the puppets lightning justice era and i remember you we were at the wall in Lake Success and I said, I'm going to buy a Metallica album. And I asked you, which one should I get? And you said you should get Injustice for All. So that was my, not counting Load and Reload, I think that was my third classic Metallica album. And then um, I got the other two a, a bit later on. Um, but this was really like my first time really listening to Ride the Lightning um, start to finish like a number of times. And so it was... Um, it was it was a cool experience, and, and I'm looking forward to, to talking about it with you. Yeah, it, it's funny for me. I think I had mentioned this. I had heard um, – I was a big Tool fan around 95, 96. We obviously discussed Tool in the archives as well, and it was about that time that I started getting into Metallica as well. And when I – you know, Load had come out. They were getting some radio play for King Nothing and stuff like that, and I thought it was actually a really good song for what it was. Um, and there were some other tracks on Load and Reload, which stand up, believe it or not, on, on an album that may not be as uh, influential or as impactful, you know, looking back as an album like Ride the Lightning. But when I first heard that stuff, I just dove all in and I started picking up 
every single album in the back catalog. And I'm so glad that I did, obviously, because those first, I guess we'll say those first four um, releases up through the Black Album, but before they get to the Black Album, were just some of the most um, influential and impactful and commercially successful albums for a band that who, who was not getting any radio play at the time, but Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Puppets and Justice, those four albums, I mean, what a way to start their career. And then obviously from there, they would kind of go off in, in a number of different directions. And the one thing that's undeniable is that their success is unparalleled. I mean, they still sell out every show that they play, no matter what the size of the venue, it could be a football stadium, it could be a, a basketball arena, they're selling out and they're probably doing multiple nights because they are that big and that impactful. But back here in those early days of 1984, they, they were not getting any help from the radio. They were, they were like an underground sensation, but the, the groundswell was so big that um, the, the train was pulling out of the station. And me being as cheap as I was back when I was 15, when I was getting my hands on these albums in like 1997, I – didn't want to spend $18 at the wall and buy the album. So I had a kid in my chemistry class that sat next to me and he literally burned me copies of all these albums for $10 a piece. So when I first got Ride the Lightning, it's because another kid, Justin, had burned me all these CDs and eventually I would obviously go and buy them. Uh, but I just had to hear this music. And I remember getting Justice, Puppets, and Ride, and Ride the Lightning all at the same time for 30 bucks, And I just played them on repeat in like mid-1997, and that's all I would listen to. And then I would obviously gravitate away from them and listen to all this other stuff. But my God, what an indoctrination this was. And then I wound up buying Kill Em All, and shortly thereafter, I wound up having everything they had recorded up until um, and through Reload. That's Yeah, I, I was kind of curious, your Metallica uh, history, because I remember you, when when we first became friends, that you had a few Megadeth albums and a few Metallica albums. And um, it, I remember, I think we went to, I forgot what store um, we were going somewhere and we were listening to master of puppets in Nick's van. And I remember just thinking to myself, or it might've been ride the lightning. I forgot one or the other, or maybe justice. It was one of those three. And I was thinking to myself like, wow, like this is so different from what I had heard on the black album and, and kill them all. And then like load and reload, obviously, because you know, those nineties Metallica albums were so like heavily produced and, and, and just very polished. And I think that like, I never really quite understood the hate that the black album got. Um, but maybe it's because I listened to it first. And so it kind of felt like going back and listening to the older albums, it felt like to me that there was kind of like the, the natural progression of a band that kind of was like breaking through in the eighties. And then, you know, all of a sudden they had a, a big time producer that wanted to come in and, and kind of give them a little bit of a polish and, and, kind of take them to the next level. Um, and it's so interesting to me that like those diehard fans kind of crap on the black album, you know, little did they know what was to come with, with load and reload, which they would hate even more. And then St. Anger, which they would loathe. Uh, so um, <laughs> it's interesting. Like the, the, you know, uh, I guess hindsight being 2020, I, I kind of always lumped the black album in with these, um, these, especially the three after kill them all. Um, as like the those four really quintessential uh, Metallica albums. 
And and for me, I always kind of cut it off with justice because for me, the way I looked at it was it was such a stark contrast to those albums that came before it. It, it did not have the heavily produced sound. It didn't have um, the, the radio ballad, you know, like um, nothing else matters. It just was so different that if you evaluated the albums for what they were, they were so diametrically opposed to one another that it was almost like once justice ended and they started recording the black album and they bring in the orchestra and they do all this, you know, stuff to kind of appeal to the masses. And and let's be clear, it worked because that album I think is still on the charts 30 years later. Um, There was something that changed and not necessarily for the worst, just different. But if you were a hardcore fan and you were listening to Master of Puppets back in 1986, I can understand why five years later you could not believe that they had done a complete 180 with their sound. Yeah, I mean, like Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters were their, probably their two biggest hits from this album. And they're like real commercial hits. But I mean, to me, like the rest of the album, while being more polished than the previous album, I mean, there was some good like good like heavy metal slash hard rock slash thrash metal songs like i don't think there's any bad songs on the black album whereas i might be able to say that like load and reload have some songs that i probably would never go back and listen to um and man i popped on a a frantic from saint anger recently which is i think considered the the best song on the album it's the opening track and just that drum sound it just pierces through your head it is so like i don't know what lars was thinking with that just like shrill like oh my god it it just i mean it takes away any any enjoyment you could potentially have listening to it and i remember when death magnetic and hardwired came out later on those were the most recent two full-length albums i was thinking to myself like this is a little bit more kind of Metallica going back a little bit to their roots while still maintaining that kind of polish. Um, But uh, it's so interesting to me, like how I I think we we maybe in passing talked about how like Guns N' Roses was this unbelievable phenomenon that when you think about it, like was such a short for a band that has such credentials they existed in such a short window. And I think of like this, like glory era of Metallica and it's kind of the same thing. Like it lasted about five years, like at least according to the people that kind of set sail after justice and, and, and once like black album came out and they were like, all right, well that's it. Metallica was a band that released four albums and then disappeared after the eighties. But the irony is they, they acknowledge they disappear after justice but when they play a show in 2022, who's there? The fans that were listening to them in 1985. Because I know. I mean, you don't you don't sell out arenas without like somebody caring, right? And, and <laughs> so. that's the thing. And like, people, it's just that these albums were so iconic. And I think the Guns N' Roses example is great. You know, after Use Your Illusion Two came out, many would argue they haven't done anything good since, but yet they're still selling out football stadiums. 80,000 people. I, I I do not ever want to hear a negative word spoken about the spaghetti incident. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely not cover that um, anytime soon. But it's, it's That'll be after the St. Anger episode. Which has been requested, but we'll, we'll hopefully not get there for a while either. Um, it, it's, it, it's 
it's just a fascinating time. And I'll, I'll tell you a little while, a bit about why I chose this particular album. Just going back into my crazy fandom from 25 years ago, I always thought that um, the debut Kill 'Em All was this well constructed thrash demo that they had put out. Ch- production left a little something to be desired, but it was that raw sound and the potential that was kind of oozing through a lot of those songs like Whiplash and and the Four Horsemen and and stuff like that, which I, I can see why this became like an underground sensation. But what Ride the Lightning has that I don't think Puppets or Justice have is the blend of that kill em all raw aggression with the lack of polish that they put on with puppets and justice. In other words, Ride the Lightning still has a very, very raw sound to it, whereas puppets sonically sounds pristine because they had already had money behind them and they were able to kind of do a lot in the studio that they, maybe they weren't able to do, you know, just two years prior. But this album was really the the the, the bridge between the early um, we're, we're getting on our feet and we're a live band and a, and a band that would ultimately be known for their, the following two studio albums. I thought this was the perfect album that kind of bridged the gap and the upgrade in songwriting on this particular album is very noticeable because you have some songs here that are, that are just all-time classics, but even some of the less, I don't want to say lesser known, but like lesser talked about tracks here are just really well constructed. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into. And that's why I chose this because admittedly, I think it's my favorite album at this point by the band. And I, I, I wanted to have an excuse to go back and listen to it. Uh, I think that's a good, you know, some like good reasoning. Um, I, I always found that while I, I do agree with you that like there was definitely a increase in, in production value as these albums go forward. Um, to me, I, I felt like this was a big step up from Kill 'Em All. I never really, never really like got into it. Like you know, I like Whiplash and I like Four Horsemen and some of like the the real like ones that the band still plays live to this day. But I just felt like this was like, and you said songwriting. That's a big part of it. Like the songwriting, um, they're starting to kind of uh, branch out into not just being a, a full on thrash band. You know, you have. Um, a little bit of kind of, uh, you know, mellow, almost ballady portions. Um, there's more melodic uh, lines and I'll get to, there's a song in particular that I, I want to talk about as far as like where you're seeing kind of like a, a side of Metallica. That's a little bit more melodic and not as much just like straight up, like angry, you know, raw thrash metal. Um there's a, a a nine this album ends with a nine minute instrumental i mean like it, it's it's a really cool progression in this like what will turn into this monster that that's known as metallica but yeah i agree this is a really good um choice and and i definitely would like to um do deep dives into you know the other three of the first four albums at some point um because i think they all merit discussion um but yeah i I like kind of went into this knowing half the songs well, and um, I really enjoyed listening to this. I thought that um, this is like it kind of, I kind of forgot how good this band was, Um, you know, and there's still a force live, like you mentioned. And I still think that there's songs on their last two albums that are really good. 
Um, and there's songs on Load and Reload that I really like. And, and I mentioned before, I, lo- I like the, the Black album as well. Um, although it might not be considered like a, a legitimate thrash metal album. Um, you know, kind of the same way, you know, with, me- you know, we're going to have probably parallel Megadeth a lot on this episode, but kind of like how Megadeth with Euthanasia kind of wanted to try to take, you know, go a different way and not, not be as thrashy. And I think a lot of people consider that and, and risk and um, cryptic writings kind of like their little foray into trying to be a little bit more commercially successful. Sure. Um, but also I feel like Megadeth kind of went back to the well, like we were talking about early on in the episode and, the difference for me and why I'm always going to be a Megadeth guy over Metallica is that, you know, like I said, Metallica like peaked in the eighties and like, they never really, as far as like song quality goes, they never really came back to what they did in the eighties. And I don't even think they really even tried all that hard to, to do that. But Megadeth I think has consistently released like, you know, good thrash albums through the years, you know, risk was probably like their, kind of that was like their big dip their saint anger if you will like it was just the one that like nobody seemed to enjoy even though there are songs that i happen to quite like from risk it's just not a well-received megadeth album but they would come back after that and be like all right that didn't work let's just go back to the trash thing and um so it's really interesting and and, you know there's I, i saw at least one of these songs on this album has Dave Mustaine as a writing credit. I'll have to pull up the uh, the booklet again, which I thought was interesting that there's still a little bit of his um, influence kind of hanging around. It looks like Ride the Lightning. He has um, a songwriting credit on, which is and Call of Cthulhu as well. He actually okay. has writing credits on on two of these songs. And what's interesting is this would obviously be the last album he would get writing credits on. But he was, you know, these songs were being worked on. I guess around the same time that. You know, he was in the band just two years prior, so um, they, they 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 threw him a bone with those two. In many ways, I think they're two of the best songs on the album, which which is a testament to his songwriting. I never, I will never get up here and say that Dave Mustaine is my favorite vocalist of all time, or that I think he's a phenomenal frontman. But he's a great songwriter, and the reality is, even when they were going through that foray that you talked about, kind of deviating from you know the Rust and Peace sound or the Peace Cell sound. Cryptic Writings is a phenomenal album, and it's actually one that I think we should talk about because there are some amazing songs on there. And although Risk never resonated with me, I, I only liked one song on the album. The was it Crush Him? Yeah, that was definitely not it. And I've had many <laughs> debates with Mike about that one. But um, Cryptic Writings is a gem, and I would actually put it up there as one of their best albums, just from a musical standpoint. Now. I'm not saying it's a thrash metal album. I'm not putting it up there with Rust in Peace, but I will say I like it. I like it a lot. And I think that their sound actually started to change with um, Countdown to Extinction, which was just such a stark contrast to Rust in Peace that had come out, you know, two or three years prior. Um, it seemed like everybody around 1992, 1991, 1992, 1993 were starting to deviate from that 80s sound. Megadeth yeah. would go back to it. Metallica would kind of dip their toe in the pool, but. Yes, I, I think we can agree the heyday. When we were talking, when we talked about Pearl Jam's Ten album, I think that it's that time period where that grunge and alternative movement was changing the whole musical landscape in the U.S. It seemed like bands like Metallica and Megadeth 
like felt like they needed to do something to kind of keep up and not get lost in the 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 death of metal that kind of seemed to happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing agree. that had something to do with it. I could not agree more. Um, but with that all said and that backdrop, let's get into it. Uh, I, I, I'm sure everybody knows, but it's James Hetfield on vocals and guitar, Kirk Hammett on lead guitar, uh, Cliff Burton, rest in peace, on bass, and Lars Ulrich on drums. This is their classic lineup, and obviously they would go through a couple of other bass players in the years to come, but the core of this band has remained the same since 1983, really. I mean, once, once, once they figured out the lineup, they kind of went with it, you know, for the most part. Um, the album starts with an absolute banger of a song. I'm talking, and when I say banger, I'm talking about a, a, a song that when you first hear it, you're just like, what? is this because I remember the first time I played the album and I heard fight fire with fire. I was blown away. And in, in retrospect, I don't know that I love it as much as I did back when I first heard it because it's a little repetitive in my opinion and just an onslaught of, of, of sound in your face. But I thought this was just mind blowing and I, I, I used to adore the hell out of it. The intro is really cool. It's different. It's it's you know again that up up uptick in songwriting with the what sounds like an acoustic guitar at the beginning before an absolute explosion of of thrash metal. Um, the riff that that kicks this song off is, I mean, second to none. It's just unlike anything you were hearing in 1984. Um, and but at this point, I would say that my favorite part of the song is actually the instrumental section because I think that the chorus and the and and and, and the verses are a little bland in, in the pantheon of Metallica songs. Uh, but the solos in that instrumental section are just fantastic, and I love that explosion at the end, which is just like strap in because you're ready. You're 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 basically in for about forty five or fifty minutes of absolute thrash metal mayhem. I uh, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I think this was by far the the right choice to open the album with because I think it just it just hooks you in right away. And and I think that Metallica said, you know, if I wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked. <laughs> so they hooked you right right away. And I, I agree, like it is kind of a repetitive and uh, boring kind of not boring, but just repetitive um, kind of verse and chorus or whatever. And but I mean that 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 riff that just uh pervades throughout the whole song it's just so so energetic and so like just it just really pulls you in and and like you said like the you go into the the soloing and it's just like all right let's see you know let's see what these guys can do and and they just like they just really tear it up and you know it's definitely not my favorite song on the album but boy i don't know that i would want this album to start with any other song like this is such a perfect way to just kick things off and I would imagine that the band themselves had to be at least happy or or onto some sort of a formula here because when they would start Master of Puppets with Battery, it was the same type of thing. I mean, it's just an absolute onslaught of a song to start. Yeah. And, and same what, with Blacken too. On, on yeah, this, you know, yeah. they 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 there was a formula here, I, I think, but they they definitely stuck to it and and did it well. They go into the second track, which is the the self titled "Ride the Lightning" track, one of the longer songs, long, longer songs on the album. It's a little over six and a half minutes. As we said, this was one of the ones that Mustaine got writing credits on. What are your thoughts about this one? Uh, I I think that this song is um, better than "Fight Fire with Fire," or at least I like it more. Um, it's uh, 
again, you have this just riff that just continues on throughout the song. And um, I think it's got a catchier chorus, a a catchier verses. Um, It's a little bit longer, like you mentioned, but um, I like this song um, a a bit better than Fight Fire with Fire. I feel like we're, we're like increasing our, our song quality as we, as we move forward. Um, But this is a, a a really good tune and um it's kind of like i always liked that um metallica's you know big three if you would uh albums have a a uh you know a title track and this is the this is a great song for the title track for ride the lightning um if it's like the anthem of the album um just a a very enjoyable thrash metal tune i like this one a lot this is arguably one of, if not their most underrated song in their entire catalog. And it never gets mentioned with Master of Puppets as a song. They rarely play it live, but it is so catchy and so melodic, and but at the same time, so raw and so thrashy. I just love it. I think that the young James Hetfield here sounds phenomenal. And obviously his vocals... Uh, I don't think anyone would say are, are, again, spectacular, but he's very good at what he does. And I think that when he had that young, energetic, explosive sound to his voice, you saw it on full display here. And I just think that the diversity of this song speaks to the songwriting. And I think that there are other songs that are potentially catchier. I'm sure we're going to talk about those momentarily. But what, this has one of the most, like extended emotional guitar solos that's in their entire catalog. And I love the fact that it kind of gradually picks up speed as you go along. I am a closet fanboy of this song, and I think it's actually maybe the best song on the album, and I'm actually going to make it my song of the week. Well, it's time to come out of the closet. Yeah. Um... You know, man, I just had something on the tip of my tongue and I just lost it. Um, I I will say that uh, this is, um, yeah, that, um, okay, just came back to me. Um, This is is a band where at this time I feel like everybody is equally contributing as far as like you have this, like the, the, the bass really shines through on certain songs with Cliff. The drumming obviously is a, is a big part of Metallica's, you know, legend with with you know Lars and and, and the guitar work is just fantastic. And and like you said, you know, James Hetfield, it's kind of like I call it like Bruce Springsteen. You know, like the guy is no one's ever going to call him like a classically trained vocalist, um, but like there's just 
you just couldn't imagine somebody else being the singer. Same with with um, Dave Mustaine. Like he's just again, it's that it's a dis- different kind of raspy kind of raw voice, but it just fits with everything else that's going on. Um, it, it's just a really great uh, collection of, of just awesome thrash metal musicians coming together here. Yeah, it, they, they were hitting it at the at the right time for sure. And now you start, and now you start getting into some of these real, quote unquote, classic tracks with like a song like "For Whom the Bell Tolls." I played this song on repeat when I got that burned copy of this album. I could not get enough of this song. I don't know that I would say it's my favorite song now, but my God, what a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, ride! No, no pun intended. That they take you on. Very good lyrics. Fantastic live song and i think now is as good a time as any to talk about when we saw them in concert because i remember jumping in my dad's car with you and a bunch of other guys going to giant stadium to see metallica in concert um it was my first concert it was on july 17th uh, 1998 what 24 years ago and i gotta be honest with you that whole experience seeing metallica live Watching people tailgate in the in the parking lot of this gigantic football stadium, I was blown away. And it would watching be- grown men curse in the bathroom during the acoustic set. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Like, what the fuck is this? I, I have to be honest with you. That was a formative experience for me, and it became the first of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows that I would go on to see. Um, but that that first concert was something I will never forget. And, and credit to Metallica, we were sitting so far away <laughs> on the other side of the stadium all the way up top probably because it was the only tickets we could afford um but it was still a transformative experience i think that they would like hit a snare drum and we'd hear it about six minutes later based on how far the seats were but it was still such a cool experience if there was a bon jovi concert going on at continental airlines arena we would have been closer to that show than we were <laughs> to the metallica show i think i just heard richie sambora i, I like I, it was it was really uh it, it was wild but it was Definitely something I'll never forget. They played For Whom the Bell Tolls, and I just – I marked out. I thought it was the greatest thing. And I love how at the at, at certain parts they just kind of isolate the drum sound for like a split second before they go back into the riff. Yep. What a, what a, what an awesome idea. And you mentioned the Cliff Burton uh, bass lines. They jump out on this song, but they really jump out when they play this song live. Um, I've heard bootlegs from back in 1984 and 1985. Um, this this is an all-time classic. The wild guitars at the end, the way this song just kind of goes out is just perfect. It's just a perfect song and could easily be my track of the week. I'm not I'm not obviously I'm I'm sticking with Ride, but this is this is a this is a classic. Well, it's my song of the week, so there you go.
This was the one song, well, not the one song. This is the first song I ever heard from this album. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, I had the Woodstock 94 soundtrack. I don't know if you call it a soundtrack. It was like a two disc live compilation. And this was the song that they chose for Metallica's, um, their entry. Um, on what I think a lot of people consider a really classic Metallica live set. It was right before Load and Reload would come out. So they basically had those first, just those first five albums to choose from. Um, it's probably not terribly different from the the live shit box set as far as what songs they had to choose from. Because I think that had come out right around the same time. Um but so I was always very enamored with this song and it just was one of those songs that never fell out of favor with me. And like the way that it starts out with the bell, much like hell's bells did for ACDC. Yes. Um, yes. Th- it's not just a song. It's kind of like an experience and they're adding some more layers to it by having that bell toll at the beginning. And um, I always think about how we would compare the riff from the Final Fantasy VII battle music that dun, 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 and like I remember Nick being like, "Wow, um, they stole the riff from For Whom the Bell Tolls to make battle music in Final Fantasy VII." Um, so I always think about that whenever I hear that riff, the the Nobuo Uematsu, uh, you know, Kirk Hammett <laughs> tribute, yeah, yeah, tribute riff. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just one of those songs that you know, much like. Um, you know, battery and master of puppets and, and creeping death. It just never, never seems to get old. They're just such a, such a classic, like energetic song. And, and it's probably one of, it's probably, wouldn't you say it's the most popular song from this album? I think it's either this or creeping death. Um, both of which are just staples in their live set. I, I don't know the last time that they played a show and not played those two songs. And I think you can make an argument depending on mood for which one is quote unquote better because they are two of the better songs on the album and quite frankly, two of the better songs ever. Um, I go back and forth, but yeah, I remember hearing that Woodstock recording after the fact and trying to track down that album just because I thought that that rendition of, of bells was so good. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I, I can hear Hetfield in my head just being like, um, I hope you brought your Metallica energy. And like the, like the crowd, didn't like respond loudly enough and he just goes well are you fucking sure (laughs) (laughs) so i was i always just hear that in my head it's so funny um and then you get to their first uh, you know a true ballad i guess with with fade to black obviously a very very emotional uh trip uh, and, and song obviously about suicide this is a very very deep song for a bunch of 20 somethings i think the verses are great, but what really stands out to me is the second half of this song where it kind of just picks up um, and the last three minutes, God, the, the riff that kicks off that final verse is just so iconic. I think, and, and nobody's ever said this to me, but when I go back and I listen to um, In My Darkest Hour by Megadeth, which would come out in, in 1988, I don't think that song comes out unless there is a fade to black because I always thought it was constructed in the same way with the same lyrical themes and stuff like that. Very, very interesting stuff, but I, this this was also a very accessible song, Fade to Black, whereas some of the other stuff may be a little abrasive for many. I, I could hear people that may not be 
quote unquote metal fans listening to fade the black and being like, you know what, this, this rocks. I, I can get down with this. Well, yeah. And I think part of it is because like, while it, you would think based on the first few minutes that it's like a full on ballad. Right. I mean, it, it starts to, there's a lot of heavy parts to it. And, yeah. and I was, I've been meaning to ask you while listening to this album, would you consider this like the first ever thrash ballad? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I'm an absolute expert, but if you listen to early Slayer, you're not hearing any of this stuff. Obviously, Megadeth wouldn't have a, a ballad for, for some time after this as well, if, if memory serves. Let's put it this way. If it, if it wasn't the first, it was probably the best of its time for sure. Yeah. Um, and I just like that, like... It, and, and Metallica would do this again in the future, uh, but, like, it, you know, it's towards the end they're just like all right all right enough we need to kind of start rocking out again and so there's some really like i said some like really heavy uh guitar riffs and uh it's it's i feel like um it's constructed similar similarly to one which would come out on injustice for all where it's kind of kind of chill at the beginning and then it just like One's I think is even heavier in the second half of the song, but I mean sure. it's kind of the same where it's like, you know, it, it's going to be mellow to start, and then we're going to kind of gradually pick things up. And so this was another, probably one of the um, three or four songs that I that I knew really well going going into this, and uh, definitely definitely holds up. And uh, it's 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 a meaty song. It, it comes in at almost seven minutes, but um, never uh, never a dull moment. I, I don't think. Yeah, and, and what a way to end side A of the album, right? I mean, just kind of go out with a bang. Side B, uh, you know, kicks off with Trapped Under Ice, which is another really, really, really fast and heavy track. Um, if, if you, if there was any wonder, could they, could they do it again, you know, to kind of kick things off when you, when you change the side of the record? I think the answer is yes. This is another underrated track and a song that if I was seeing the band, I would just kill to see this live. I, I feel like this song live would be absolutely perfect. Uh, solid, straightforward verses, decent chorus, but the shredding in the middle of the song is just so sick. And, and the melodic bridge is, is another highlight for me. I, I think it's just a really uh, good start to the second half of the album. I don't know that it's as iconic as, as, as Fight Fire with Fire, but I think it's a underrated track that's well-placed on, on this album. Yeah, well put. Um, it, it's It's probably my least favorite song on the album, but that's really not a knock because like all, I think all the songs on this album are really good at, at, at worst. So um, I just thought that this was um, kind of like fight fire with fire. It was a little repetitive and like the chorus, I don't think was as catchy as some of the other songs, but um, I would put it like a shade under fight fire with fire for me personally. Um, but again, like there's really not a, not a bad song on this album. And, and I think this is like you said, a really good way to kind of kick off side B if you will. And, and uh, I didn't really think of it that way when I was listening to it, I was listening to it like a, like I would a CD, but you're right. Like this is, you know, I really wonder how much stock bands put into like where a song landed on an album that has two sides, whether it be on a cassette or a, or a, or a record. Um, but if this was if that was in any consideration here, it seems like they tried to do the same thing they did on side A, where just kick things off with a really energetic and and fast paced tune. 
Yeah, uh, no arguments here. For for me and for my money, I think the next track, Escape, is probably the weakest on the album. Not that it's a bad song. It just has a bit of a different feel as compared with the rest of the album. And, and it, the chorus is almost happy in a way and a little less uh, angst-filled, I guess, is the way I would describe it. It almost reminds me of a, a song that would come out a year later, and that's Wasted Years by Iron Maiden. Now, I'm not saying it's the, the same song, but just the way that it's kind of happy and a little bit different than the, the rest of the album that it's on. A unique approach. It, it's The verses are a little vanilla, a little plain to me. The chorus is a bit of a different feel, but there's just something out of place here. I, I, and, and part of me wonders if it was like the last song written for the album and they just kind of threw it on to fill out side B. I, I don't know. Again, not a bad song, just a different feel from the rest of the album. And you know what? That's what I like about it. I feel like it... it Interesting. It, yeah, like when I mentioned before about like there being more melodic portions, like this chorus of this song was what I was speaking of specifically. Uh, it just has, it feels like a song instead of just a thrash song, like <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like it, it has more of like a, you know, something you might hear on the radio kind of vibe to it. And, and that's why I think I like this song a bit more than Trapped Under Ice, just because it, it felt like they were trying to, be a, a little bit more musical uh if, if that makes any sense I, I think it's a kind of a, a cool song and you're right like it does have a little bit more of like a glimmer of of hope <laughs> than the rest of the album i guess as opposed um, to going to the electric chair i mean yeah. we'll, <laughs> go figure exactly um this is the escape from the electric chair i suppose um <laughs> before they catch you and strap you back down and death comes creeping but um i, I thought this was kind of a cool track i mean like I think that um, also I think it's good to put this in between Trapped Under Ice and Creeping Death because those are two like really, really fast and heavy songs. So it kind of gives you like a little bit of a reprieve uh, instead of like mauling you to death with with speed. Um, But I mean, oh man, Creeping Death, this was very close to being my song of the week. It's I had it just a shade, just an eyelash behind for whom the bell tolls but um this uh, this song is unbelievable and uh I, and now whenever i hear it i just think of when lord finished their set at prog power by covering this and i was like oh my god what a great song to cover of like all the metallica songs this is just one of those songs that live it just has so much energy oh, and it just pulls yeah. you in it's really just an incredible song i could not agree more and and this was another song that really just kind of made me fall in love with metal and the song holds up. I mean, just listening to it, it's, it's almost 40 years, but like it holds up so well. The verses are great. The chorus is great. And, and like you said, it is a song that was made for the live setting. The, that iconic chant in the middle, you know, where he's like, die by my hand. So powerful. It's so, um, the riff is just so simple, but so effective. And it's a very digestible song for what's otherwise like this iconic, thrash metal song it's perfect and and i gotta be honest with you it was if i had to pick a second song of the week this would be it and i'd probably find some live version on some bootleg and i put it up there because it's great on the album it is perfect live and and i think more than anything this whole experience this week has made me want to go see them again because i saw them with you in 1998 and then i went to go see the um they played an S and M show at Madison Square Garden, where I got to hear the Call of Cthulhu live, which is the last track on the album, the epic instrumental. 
And that song was, I believe, what they opened with at the S&M show, which was ridiculous because you never considered it as like an opening track, but it was so good. And that track was so awesome that I'm like dying to see this band live again. It's been over 20 years since I've seen them. And I feel like that next time they come back, I, I need to make a point of going just because if you look at the set lists, they sprinkle in some new stuff. But for the most part, it is a greatest hit set from from those first five albums and and rightfully so it's it's phenomenal i i i think the call of cthulhu is a really ambitious way to end the album it's very proggy you know which is not something you were hearing in 1984 and even though it feels kind of long and it is it's not necessarily in a bad way it's just a very dynamic closing track i i love that like I I don't think I really realized that there is no vocals on yeah. the song until I listened to it this past week. But um, this is where you really get to hear Cliff Burton shine. I feel like because without the vocals, you can really kind of hear that bass that bass line shine through. But yeah, I, I agree. Like this is a, a very ambitious, a, a, an almost nine minute instrumental track to end like this classic thrash metal album. Um, I was expecting to kind of find this to be boring, but I ended up really liking it. Um, a, a really cool way to to kind of finish things off. And, and um, yeah, this was just, uh, I don't know that I have anything much else to add from what you had to say, but uh, just a great way to kind of cap off a really enjoyable album. Scale of one to 10, how high are you giving this uh, album? Um, I will give it a 8.25. Um, I don't know that I would say it's my favorite Metallica album, but I do like it a lot more than I did before you asked me to listen to it. So, uh, I will say that I, I, it was a very enjoyable, uh, experience. Um, I think if there are more songs on the level of, of, um, for whom the bell tolls and creeping death, it'd be more into that like nine nine ish kind of air um but i mean it's still a really really good album and and i'd really like to do deep dives especially on um master of puppets and then justice for all because again the, it's it's kind of the same thing for me where there's songs that i know really well and then there's songs i don't know well at all it's kind of i'm like kind of like that metallica fan who knows like their the like the fifty percent most popular songs, and then know nothing about the fifty percent least popular songs. So uh, I definitely have some work to do in that area, and I don't know Kill 'Em All well either. So I mean, that's another all, one we have to yeah. do. We'll, so we'll definitely all, circle back. Yeah, yeah, um, but um, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to say at the end of the day, once I'm familiar with everything, where like where this album would rank for me. Uh, I'd be curious to hear where it ranks for you, um, but. Uh, how how about you? What were your what was your ranking and, and where does this album lie on the um the greatest Metallica albums chart for you? For me it's it's probably my fa- it's not their best per se, but I think it's my favorite and I'd give it a nine. I think it's really, really close to being just a perfect album. Um, again, not that I'm listening to much Metallica, but I also want to go back and do a deep dive into some of these to see how they hold up. Um I, I acknowledge it might not be the, the most polished or or the best songwriting in their entire catalog. I think songs like One are just perfect songs in, in a sense. Uh, you could make the same argument about a song like Master of Puppets or, uh, I you know, I happen to be a, a big fan of Disposable Heroes off Puppets and stuff like that, which if you don't know that song, 
again, all the more reason to cover it. But like, I, I just something about the the rawness, which I mentioned earlier, and the young Hetfield that just really grabs me. So for me, it's a nine. It's probably my favorite. And if if you said go grab a Metallic album, this would be the one that I would go play. Although I acknowledge it's probably not their best, if that makes sense. I totally understand. A uh, couple of things before we get to next week and our request. Uh, number one, after 28 years with the band, Steve Morse has finally uh, left Deep Purple. He is leaving to take care of his wife, who is very, very ill. And um, it's funny. I, I saw Steve Morse play one of those G3 shows with, I believe it was Steve Vai and John Petrucci. I saw them, uh, I think, one or two times on, on one of those G3 tours, probably like 20 years ago. Um, great guitar player. Have to do a show on Deep Purple sometime soon just because Definitely. we did Sabbath. That This would be the, the, the next logical extension. So I wanted to mention that. And also... Uh, in what has to be one of the most polarizing announcements I have ever seen, it seems as though Pantera is getting back together and going to do a run of live shows. Uh, obviously, without two of their founding member, member, you know, members with the Abbott brothers, it seems that Zach Wilde will be playing guitar and Charlie Benante from Anthrax, your boy from Anthrax, will be joining them on drums. Um, an interesting lineup. But this is getting a lot of flack. I, I do not claim to be a, a, a Pantera fanboy. I know songs. I don't know albums at all. I know that they, they have a die a diehard fan base. Um, I know that Phil Anselmo, the singer, has made some inflammatory remarks, which is probably the reason I've decided not to even pay any attention to them uh, in, in the last few years, let alone before that. Um, do you have any thoughts on this one way or another, or is it just more of an interesting uh, cash grab more than anything else? Yeah, I don't care. Um, I, I, ne- <laughs> I never, I never got into Pantera. Um, when I heard about some of the things that some of the members of the band had said over the years, it made me less inclined to listen to them. Um, I, I just, I, it's not really anything that I could care about one way or the other. Like, you totally. know, I think it's unnecessary. I think like the idea of doing it without two of the like most important members of the band seem kind of it's almost like doing a Led Zeppelin reunion tour without Page and Plant. Like why right. bother? Right. I, 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 I tend to agree. I mean, no disrespect to the obviously the talented guys that are coming in to fill out the lineup, but something doesn't sit well with me and I won't be going to see it. Maybe it pays to do a Pantera show at some point just to kind of hear what it is we're missing but i have a feeling i'm not gonna fall in love with it i mean they have i'll be honest with you i they have one or two songs that i really really enjoy but despite my enjoyment for those songs i never bothered to check out the albums they were on so i maybe that should tell you something yeah i mean it's just uh i think walk might be the only song i'm familiar with and that's because it was rob van damme's theme music and ecw so <laughs> that's about uh that's about the extent of, of my knowledge um but yeah it just wasn't and it it was something that just never really it just never really crossed my mind that it was something i wanted to delve into so i mean i'd be happy to do it for um an episode of the podcast just to see what's what's going on but um yeah i I just thought it was interesting i was kind of surprised to see that announcement because it just didn't seem like it was something anybody really was asking for (laughs) yeah it let, let sleeping dogs lie, I guess. But here we are, uh, Pantera back together. Um, and that takes us to next week, which is obviously the first of the month of uh, August. And that means request time. 
and we're going to cover Fear Factory's Demanufacturer from 1995, a band that I don't think you have um, much, if any, familiarity with, and quite frankly, a band that I never paid any attention to either. I've heard one or two albums at some point, and then here comes Demanufacturer, which many say is their uh, best album, a concept album which uh, about um, man's struggles against the machine-controlled government. So we'll get to that next week. Um, I'm very curious to see what you what you think of this. I I, I gave it a listen, and um, I'm very curious to see what you think of it next week. Yeah, I have. Um, boy, I know less about this band than I did about Pantera. Um, <laughs> I don't think I I don't know a like even one song. Um, I don't know what this band really sounds like. Um, I just know that it's kind of um, kind of industrial. Um, so I, I'm going to give it a listen with. Uh, open ears um but yeah i I enjoy these i especially enjoy these episodes where the both of us are kind of in the dark starting out um and and seeing where we kind of land but hey like i ended up enjoying an overkill album so anything's possible here at the metal exchange (laughs) i like it uh it should be good you'll come back the following week with uh a song or i should say an album of yours and uh thanks everyone for the positive feedback thanks for listening and we will catch you next week uh, when the metal exchange goes industrial with the manufacturer. Enjoy the week, bud. I will talk to you soon. You too. Take care.